Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm excited about today because it's going to be Guide Talk starting in just 30 seconds. That's going to be hour one. So get your questions ready. Send them on over. I've got the uh, power panel today of Pastor Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. That's the team. So I'm awfully excited to have uh, them together and let me know what the questions might be. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi, Thanks, Bill. Good to be with you, Bill. Thanks so much. All right, I'm going to make a couple of statements. You guys respond, all right? Now, when I start with the word man, I'm referring to just us guys, okay? Fair this enough. guy talk. Fair mm-hmm. enough. All right. Man is created to be relational. Yes. Yes. Yep. Sure. All right. Man is his weakest in isolation. Yes. I don't know that. I don't know that there's an answer to that one. Potentially. Okay. We can be evil alone, and we can be evil in a group. <laughs> Thanks for the uplifting message, Brock. <laughs> well, that's the truth. Come on. That's true. That's true. That is true. Uh, man is by nature a selfish individual, and therefore only as strong as his support system. True. Yeah, that's true. That's what the Bible teaches. Original sin. Pass. Pass? All right. (laughs) Uh, Man can only be held accountable when he chooses to let himself be. No. No. No, Mm -hmm. accountability is still there. You're accountable Regardless. whether you're choosing to be accountable or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, before yeah. the Lord. Yes. If, if they mean sure. accountability like in a uh, man-on-man accountability, yeah, yeah. that's different. You yeah. have to choose that. But as far as being accountable before the Lord, that's always there. Yeah, I'd say the effectiveness of the accountability, right, depends on the softness of the heart. But I think you're accountable regardless. Yeah. Right. All right. All men live with the same temptations and insecurities. False. false. Yeah, that's False. Tom, Tom Parrish? Yeah, it, 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 it varies. I mean, I would say for the majority of men, there's predominance in certain areas, but no, each one's different. Yeah. You think men primarily struggle with money, sex, and power? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. In that order? Mm, nope, not me. I don't know if that's that order. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, our sin and shame that accompanies it has been paid for at the cross. Sure. Yes. Well, yeah. our sin has been paid for. Does that mean it's wrong if you sin to feel shame? There's good shame and then there's bad shame. So of it course. kind of depends what you mean by the word shame. Mm-hmm. The price has been paid, whether we appropriate it or not, is what you're saying, Tom. Mm-hmm. It's a different matter. Mm-hmm. All right. How about this one? Man's single biggest need is affirmation. No. No. I, need, mm. I need the forgiveness of sins. That's what I need more than anything else. I think you should try, Bill. Why don't you affirm us for a bit, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> how do you like us, Bill? How are we doing today, Bill? I do like come you guys. On. No, come on. I like on. you guys yeah. a lot. No, I, I'm always I, very grateful, very appreciative when you guys come on and do great radio. Ooh, yeah. you, you just met my biggest need, affirmation. Yeah. Is it, do you have need, need for affirmation? You do, I think, don't you? I, yes, I do, yeah. but I don't think that's my greatest need. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be curious if that's true more for male than it is for female. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of men that definitely desire affirmation. If you said the common pattern was a, a guy would put that in their top five, mm-hmm. I think that you'd probably find that pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's interesting. People are their deathbed. The questions they ask are almost always the same. And one of them is, what is my purpose? Why was I here at this time in this place? So I think Solomon's words, that eternity has been planted in our hearts, drives us to something beyond anything this world can offer. And that's a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, I'm never, ever disappointed if somebody says, you know, good job, Capster, or that was great. It's not like, oh, I don't like that. I mean, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it definitely hits yeah. it in the right spot. So, yeah. 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 Here's a question from a listener. Why do some people not get healed when Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes, we are healed, and we claim that verse. So one take on that might be that the root word of salvation, the first part of that in, in the first syllable is salve, and, and the root word of that in the Greek is healing. And so if we're talking about by your stripes, we've been healed, we're talking about salvation, or we're, we're talking about we're healed from the, the power and the disfiguring power of sin. So one last piece of that is that sin is often... Um, seen as sort of leprosy in the biblical text. So it shows up in physical space as leprosy. So sometimes Jesus will heal the leper, but also talk about forgiveness of sins at the same time. And so there's a healing or a restoration of what we're meant to be that salvation brings to the table. So if we're talking physical healing, I don't think that's what Isaiah is talking about all the time, right? But I think the fullness of salvation is possible as a result of of the stripes that he bore in that time. So, Right. One of the struggles we have, you go back to Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, not our purpose. And that means, you know, I prayed over people and literally seen them healed. I prayed over others and then a couple of days later buried them. And I, it doesn't go back to how strong a prayer I am. It goes back to the Lord's purposes. And I just simply have learned to trust in that. And I'm going to pray for your healing. But the Lord's going to do what the Lord's going to do. And a teaching that I reject, I, I know a Christian man, and when he prays for healing, Lord, we claim your promise by your stripes we are healed, therefore we claim that this cancer is going to be gone, etc. I don't think that's what that verse means. No, not at all. Timothy's, no, no. Paul says, Timothy, take a little wine for the sake of your frequent stomach ailments. In other words, take your medicine. He's not saying, where's your faith? And I think you can have full faith in Christ, claiming every promise, and die of cancer. And so I think uh, by his stripes we are healed. That's regarding our spiritual salvation. Our sins are forgiven. We're not going to hell anymore because of the cross. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to get sick. And, and there's a whole teaching out there, in, in very prevalent on Christian television, that if you believe hard enough, claim that verse by his stripes. And, I, you know, I remember visiting a lady in the hospital who was crumpled up in bed, dying, but she knew she was going to be healed. I By thy stripes I am healed. And she died. Now, we don't need to go out like that. We can mm-hmm. go out saying, you know, God, if you take me, great. If you don't, great. But either way, I'm saved and and healed. But um, And he does do physical healing. I'm not doubting that. But oh, yeah. to, to name it and claim it and insist on it, I don't think that's what that verse means. No, not at all. Second Corinthians 5, 18 and following. Really clear up for me the Isaiah passage about by his stripes we're healed. Because it says here, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the top thing that I keep seeing in the New Testament is not simply physical healing or wealth or whatever. It is being reconciled to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, because we're out of sin has broken that. 
Restoration is what we're after. And by his stripes, he heals that brokenness. Good word, Pastor Tom Parrish. Um, I also know how desperate people are when they're in need of a healing for a loved Mm -hmm. one. And they cry out and they will. And I know even I looked at that verse 25 years ago and thought, this is the perfect verse for me to understand and to memorize and to claim when I need healing uh, for physical healing of some kind or for for the physical healing of a loved one. And and I think God honors that we're crying out to him. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, I think so yeah. too, Bill. I think, you know, it's one of the most difficult things to get our head around that um, this, this present affliction that Paul talks about, that it, it pales in comparison to the weight of glory. But in that present affliction, he's actually referring to sort of life in general in the midst of a broken and fallen and in difficult situation. Yeah. So I think... What's, what's really hard, one of the hardest places of trust that you can walk in as a believer is in the anguish and in the sorrow that's terribly real when we or one of our loved ones is just deeply and desperately sick and painfully so oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you watch the suffering and the agony, uh, agony of this present uh, affliction that is called life. I, in light of that, uh, death is both the curse that uh, we experience because of sin, but it's also the gift of release into something different. And And so I think... We, we want to have as much time on, on this earth with the people that are close to us and that we want to do this journey with. But um, when Paul then goes on and say, but it pales compared to the weight of glory that is to come. And, and so in that sense, death is a bit of a gift in that's release into the realm of the imperishable where we don't have to have to worry about the suffering and the pain and the tears. So it's that hard thing, right? Because you don't want to just poo-poo away the, the sorrow and the anguish. It's real. And so I, I think... When, when the text talks about that we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope, it doesn't mean we don't grieve. I, I, when, when loved ones close to me have passed away, I want to cry as deeply as I possibly can cry right. about it in the anguish and the sorrow. And God is right there present to that. But in the midst of that, there is a little hope as well, that there's an imperishable seed that has been birthed sure. in that. And so it, it's the both and. And, and so I would, I would hate to diminish the sorrow that people experience. But in that sorrow, we ha- there's a little measure of hope that can kind of whisper its way and, through. And, yeah, agreed. And let's not dump false guilt on people. I remember counseling a man in a wheelchair who'd been to some Christian meeting, and they insisted, you know, if you had faith, you'd get up. And he said, he said to me, I do have faith in Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Me and nuts. so that, that kind of teaching is very damaging. It is. Yeah, I agree, Tom Brockton. Thank you, uh, Peter, for those very comforting words you just gave. Yeah. That was very comforting. Uh, my wingman, Terry, just said, God always heals. Sometimes he takes you to heaven to do it. Amen. Uh, that's a great way that's to say it, Terry. Yep. Well done. Yep. He one always the, heals us sometimes keys, in the next life. Yeah. One of the keys, though, is that as, as ministers of the gospel, we need to show up for the dying and the sick. The, one of the things I've seen in Christianity is that in the beginning stages of cancer or other things, Many, many Christians show up and pray. Then as the cancer progresses and the person not getting well, less and less are showing up now to the home, to the hospice, to the hospital. And yet that's where we need to be intense. We need to be there with the family, with the dying, and continually reaffirm to them the promises of Jesus. And this is not it. We have a life to come as well, as well as praying for healing. I pray right to the very end. But at the same time, we need to be there to give people hope. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Tom Parrish. Another nice comment came in. We are all healed one way or another here on earth or in heaven. Amen. 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 Let me take a little break. We come back. Lots more of your questions uh, for Guide Talk. Let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. You can ask as hard a questions as you like. You can even try to stump Tom Brock. Like, what'd you have for breakfast yesterday? That, I promise, will stump him. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Guide Talk. The power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. 007 is off on mission today, somewhere in the Far East, I would imagine. I would imagine. In yeah. a tuxedo. He could be anywhere at any given moment. In some private jet. <laughs> Who knows? Completely, yeah. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, let's see, just got a nice uh, text from Scott. He said, Paul shared the verses below to believers, if we die, we win. If we want to really look at eternity, uh, who shall separate us from the love of God? Romans 8. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So... Anyway, there's some nice yep. verses there. Yeah, I think those passages are so comforting. And I was thinking during the break about uh, maybe among the most tragic losses you can have in your life is the loss of a child, especially at a young age. And I just think about how many parents, and I'm sure there's parents listening that have been marked by that for a lifetime. And, and I just, to, the idea that we have eternity ahead, I, I don't know how there's any sense of comfort if this story isn't true, right, mm-hmm. in the midst of it. And, and so to carry that burden and to still shine any measure of hope if you've lost a child or lost a really dear loved one like that, if you, if you can even just, through the power of the Spirit only, shine a little whisper of hope, even while you carry the burden of grief, just it, it really is being an ambassador to the kingdom. It's one of the most profound ways to do it. Good word. All right, let's talk about this passage in Acts, and I just want to say let's have conversation about it. Let's not race to any conclusions, all right? Let's just, That's let's, not going to be easy. I don't even know the passage is yet. Let's, let's have conversation okay, about it. We'll try it. Okay? Let's try let's it. See how let's we be do. affirming to each other, too. Let's be, we're we're going we're gonna to show, we're going to model discussion. Ooh. I like it. Right? We're going to be kind. Something controversial is yeah, coming. Yeah, this is not going to be easy. <laughs> yep. I've got three options in my brain right now. We'll see which one it is. Yeah. Tom Brock, don't you have to run to the men's room right yeah, now? Yeah. <laughs> not on your life. Okay. All right. Uh, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. While the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Discussion. Yep. <laughs> I've got part two. For, go, go ahead. There's more. I mean, but I'm saying let's have some discussion with this. I heard yep from Parrish. <laughs> Do you yeah. have more? Tom Parrish, you yeah. go first. Yeah. Well, if you look at that verse 31 uh, in Acts 16, he's talking about you and your household. There is a power when the, when the head of a household, and that's they understood it back then, comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've seen it in this sense. When I see men converted to Jesus, their whole family almost always becomes Christian. Not every time, but many times. Mothers usually are good at reaching the children, but they still struggle with the father. I think what we're saying here is that there is a power of believing in Jesus. And when you bring that into your home, whether you're male or female, it's going to affect your kids. It's going to affect your whole family. And I believe many of them will, as a result, be saved. All right. Well, you know what? I I think uh, the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul mm-hmm. says, believe in the Lord Jesus. There's this, you know, we also believe who in the Paul who wrote Ephesians 2, there's nothing I can do to be saved just by grace alone. Uh, but it's also true. You have to repent. You have to believe. 
And ultimately, the way I think we put it all together is, yeah, you have to do those things, but it's not me doing it. Uh, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the things said by Paul. Uh, so it is by grace we're saved, by the Holy Spirit getting us to repent. So in one sense, I don't do anything Jesus did at all. In another sense, you do have to believe in Christ to be saved, which may, which is why it's troubling. We have churches now teaching everybody's saved. You don't have to believe in Christ. God is lamush. Everybody's saved. And uh, um, Acts, is that 15 or 18? Acts 16. Uh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be Acts, helpful if you show up with a Bible every once. Uh, you're <laughs> my Bible, Bill. Okay. But anyway, so anyway, it's uh, universalism, the teaching that everybody goes to heaven, is negated by Acts 16 and a lot of other verses. Yeah, there's a lot in that passage that we could probably talk about, right? In terms yeah. of, uh, you know, God interceding through a natural phenomenon like an earthquake to set a bunch of prisoners free. Were all the prisoners, should they have been freed? And I mean, that's another question that I have. Were they all innocent in jail like like Paul might have been? And and then you have uh, just the idea that they stayed, right? When in, instead of asserting their freedom, they stayed on behalf of the of the well-being of the jailer and, and what that would have cost them to do exactly that. And then to your guys's point that what does it mean that the whole household is saved? And I think that's a, that's a pretty interesting conversation to get into because certainly in that time, and, and we're not saying that this is normative for all generations, but in that time, as the faith of the father went, so was considered the faith of the household. And again, we're, we got to have to be very careful not to say that that's true across all time and generation, but it was clearly true in that time. And yet there's a, a number of biblical passages, and I was just talking with somebody this last week who's a, a New Testament scholar about some of this, where um, God is also speaking to the women of those households and sometimes to the children of those households. So they're not not seen. And, and one of my favorite episodes of the of the TV show, The Chosen, that seems to be kind of running roughshod right now, but it's a great TV show. I really enjoyed the, the depiction of Jesus and the disciples in that. One of my favorite parts of it is when Peter is getting called by Jesus to now follow him out of Capernaum and into the rest of, of Israel at large, that Jesus spends about five minutes with uh, Peter's wife, and and one of the things that he says to her before he heals his mother or her mother uh, and and Peter's mother-in-law is he says I see you, and uh, and and I think that um, there's plenty of biblical evidence that even though it was a very patriarchal sort of oriented society at that time, where how the father's faith went, so went the faith of the family. Mm. That Jesus was consistently addressing the women, um, and so was Paul, and and sure. so were the writers of the text, and and basically with that word I see you. I see what 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 matters to you matters to me as well. So I think we have to be too careful. So there's a lot of conversations we could have about that in that passage. It's yeah. interesting for sure. And now, if I may read the next three verses, and we can continue our discussion. Sure. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he baptized at once he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. And then the first couple of words of verse 35 is, but when it was day. So this all happened in one night. Mm -hmm. Would you assume that the jailer was a younger man with a younger family? Hard to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't know that. that. Good question. We don't know. But our... They arriving in the middle of the night, waking up the family mm-hmm. and baptizing them. And there's a beautiful saying by an early church father, uh, as the <clears throat> as the jailer washed Paul's wounds, uh, Paul by baptism washed the jailer's wounds. Love them. Mm-hmm. I do too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I love know, the I, expression of conversion, just being baptism at that time. I mean, that clearly was how you expressed your faith. And I'm not, again, saying that's normative, that everybody, as soon as you decide to follow Jesus, should get baptized. But I think it's also really an important um, distinction. Jesus really said, here are the two things that are going to remain in terms of, uh, of rituals or, or ceremonial kinds of things. It's baptism and communion. And it says they had a meal together. It doesn't say they had communion, but communion was often the centerpiece of a meal that they would share. So certainly in the early church, if you said, yes, I do want to follow Jesus, then uh, the waters of baptism were pretty nearby yeah. and followed mm-hmm. by the meal. So, And the same with... I the... have seen... Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. I have seen literally in families to where someone, a mother or a father, will come to faith and I get invited over to the house uh, for whatever reason. I step in, and whether it's teenagers or, or younger kids, doesn't always happen, but many times there had been a discussion going on about spiritual things, about salvation, long before I ever got a chance to share. And I think even before Paul showed up here in this jailer, there was something going on in that household because I've stepped in where, you know, I walk in the house and I'm like the greatest thing since peanut butter. And they'll say, we also want Jesus into our life. How do we do that? Mm. And to be able to set with four people and lead them all to Jesus because a family member has, has really only happened to me once, but I tell you, I've never forgotten it. And you know, the, what Peter was talking about earlier about um, that night, the jailer got baptized. They didn't wait yeah. three months right. and make him go through a new members class. And I think also of the uh, eunuch, uh, Ethiopian eunuch, he hears the gospel right then and there. Uh, Philip baptizes him. So I, I kind of like doing it. I mean, you got to make sure the person believes, of course, but I kind of like doing it quick. And the, the other thing, too, Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household will be saved. And some people take that to mean that I can claim that because I'm a believer, somehow my children, my grandchildren will come to Christ before they die. And I have kind of believed that. I'm not so sure that's what that teaches because too many people who have be- who are believers who have children that die and don't believe. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I yeah. don't know that that promise can be applied to everybody for 2,000 years. That was a promise to that Philippian jailer. So, yeah. Nice. All right. We're going to take a little break when we come back. I hope we have more of your questions coming in because there's such great questions. All you have to do is text them over to 877-933-2484. Ask the pastors whatever you like. Maybe there's a question you've always wanted to ask your own pastor, just didn't feel super comfortable. You can anonymous, anonymously ask these guys anything you like. 877-933-2484. I've got pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner as the power panel today. Very excited to uh, have them here with me today. I can't wait for your questions. We'll be right back. Talk, which means uh, I've got some guys here that are willing to talk. Uh, 
So all you got to do is ask the questions, and they will give their best response. That number to text is 877-933-2484. During the break, a nice uh, thought came in from Jim. Um, he said, I have a very strong feeling that the jailer may have been involved with the slaughter of the innocents. Of course, we can never be sure, but very interesting to think about. Wow. Mm. That would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that time was probably far more difficult for the Jewish people and the early Christians than we would have imagined, right? I mean, they got, I remember in 59 AD, they got completely expelled out of Rome and, and had to run through the catacombs. And then by the time of 70, the temple's getting destroyed and, and then Nero's burning down city. It was it was a pretty crazy time for Jews and Christians. So it wouldn't be surprising if the jailer had a hand in that, which would make, think about the repentance, right? Uh, of somebody who has maybe participated in, in the harm or the killing of Christians and Jews. This is what Paul's life was all about at the end of the day. I mean, he... No wonder he wa- was so mindful of God's grace that the very one who had had killed the very children of light what now became one, and uh, and what that would have required to be broken in the midst of that is pretty profound at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. All right, whoever, whoever can answer Kathy's question gets a, an extra Oreo cookie today. Mm. Ooh, this is big she, stakes. <laughs> be, be quiet, Brock and Parrish. Uh, uh, she, uh, <laughs> she said she was reading Second Chronicles 31 today. Did the priests come from the tribe of Levi? They're described in two groups, the Levites and the priests. I have n- no idea, so I'm out. I mean, my understanding is that the priests def- descended from the, the Levites, yep. so yeah, that would yep. be, I don't know yep. why that it, it would have said it in it, that it, way, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I mind, it, doesn't, like, it doesn't necessarily mean there's two different groups. Right. It's like saying the Republicans and the conservatives, they're the same group. Yeah, that could be, <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's a good question, though. No Oreo for either one of us, Parrish. You got I, hey, I get an Oreo. <laughs> I'll decide who gets the it. Oreos. <laughs> I, people can't see your studio, Bill, but there are no Oreos in this studio. We don't know that. He could be. You don't know that, Tom. Yeah. Tom yeah, Brock. I know I might that. have a, a plate big cherry sitting under the there. table. I know. Highly, highly unlikely I do, <laughs> but I might. Oh. The lep- Remember the lady that sent us Lefsa? Oh, gosh. Yes. That was wonderful. Yeah. It was yeah. wonderful. Oh, that yeah. was great. Yeah. That was great. All right. Oh, let's see. I I just read this verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. Hope is a weak word in English. How is biblical hope different than wishful thinking? Yeah, hope is, it, it has an assuredness about it. It, it has, it, it's anchored in a reality on behalf of the future. So So sometimes we hope for things and we kind of wish that they're going to happen. Biblical hope is is the assurance that comes only through the spirit of the awareness of our future that then drives us towards that. And so th- there's assuredness that goes along with hope that is different than wishful thinking. So, And, and what verse of the Bible says exactly what you just said? Well, I, you Hebrew, tell me, Brock. Hebrews chapter 11. Yes. Now, a faith is the assurance, assurance of things that are hoped for. For right assurance and hope, yeah, we don't get the we don't get the um, the gift that will banish all doubt from our life, but we mm-hmm. do get an assurance that goes uh, into that doubt. And so mm-hmm. sometimes we think if we just know more, then we're not going to have any doubt left. But assurance no. comes in the midst of our lack of knowledge to resolve the doubt, and, and I think that's the most important thing that we can talk about. That only comes from the spirit. Yep. No good word. Let's see here. Um, appreciate that. Um, Here's a question. This is a toughie because this uh, listener has said that they come from a, a, a kind of a generational curse, which in, has included suicide in their family. Mm. Great grandmother took her life, and then an adult son and daughter, 
and grand, grandfather, dad, ooh, oh my, and they wow. have thoughts of suicide. Wow. And the Bible talks about that, and the sins of the father can filter down to third and fourth generations. What do you do to stop that curse? Tom Paris, well, somewhere, go first. It ha- somewhere it has to be confronted, and usually, hopefully, a group of very strong Christians who can be invited or step into that situation with the family and, and talk about what's happened in the family. And then, quite frankly, somewhere along the way, the family needs to repent or confess to the Lord or cry out whatever they conceive or believe is the issue. Maybe it was something the grandfather did, maybe whatever it may be. But I know that in families that have had multiple generations of suicide like this, the ones I have honestly seen get free from this are those that come together, pray together, ask for discernment together, and then make a conscious choice that the name of Jesus and his shed blood is going to stop this curse now and through generations to come. And uh, at least in one family I know of, it's now like a second, third generation, and there have been no suicides where there were many before that. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's that's a really heavy topic. That's a, so helpful, I think, to parish. And I, I think often of a of a definition of what it means to be a redemptive person. And there's probably lots of, of ways to be a redemptive person. But one of the ways in this context of, of generational sin is to be a redemptive person means that you uh, stand in the present, stopping the things of the past on behalf of the future. Right. So you stand yeah. in the present, stopping the things of the past on behalf of the future. And you can't do that by your own power. That That mm-hmm. is where God comes in and helps break that and, and can give you the strength to stand in the present. So you, you bear those sorrows and you bear those those scars and those stripes. I mean, the, among the many things that we're invited to in our Christ likeness is that when we pick up our cross, that's exactly what Jesus did. He stood in the present uh, to 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 stop the realities of the past and to create a different kind of future. And so when we pick up our cross, we're doing similar kinds of work, but that's not easy. It sounds fine when we're talking about it on an afternoon radio show, but to be the person who has to stand there mm-hmm. in the midst of that generational curse and say, it ends now, mm-hmm. this is not going to get passed down. Yep. What, what they bear in both the silent ways that they have to bear it and in the known ways they have to bear it will play itself out for generations to come in ways that they probably can't see. But that's one of the hardest invitations, whether it's divorce that's running roughshod through a family um, whether there is drug addiction or abuse, uh, whether it's in this case suicide, to be that person who says, all right, enough. Uh, God, can you help me be this agent of redemption, reconciliation, to stand in this, even if it might cost me a, a lot, I'm going to stand so that the future has a different kind of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. To, and to every day claim who you are in Christ. And because my grandmother killed herself does not mean that I'm going to kill myself. Right. I think of a a young woman who was raised uh, by uh, Christian parents, raised in the church, she discovered her birth mother was a prostitute. And she went off into promiscuity. I don't know that she's ever, you know, different children by different fathers. And I, I'm not sure, but it looked to me like she bought the lie. Well, my, mo- my real mother was like this, so this is the way I am. Yeah. And boom. And you, you just got to stand against the devil and say, look, I'm a new creature in Christ, and I can have 50 relatives who killed themselves. That ain't happening to me. You yeah. Know? And, and I just said that passage when Paul talks about that, I have fought the good fight. I finished mm-hmm. the race. Like I think about uh, whatever it is that a person needs to stand in for a lifetime, right, to be able to say that at the end of your life because it's not going to be not a fight, no, right, regardless right. of whatever the generational past is. Yeah. It's going to be a daily fight Absolutely. until the end. And right. so— Having that end in mind and say, I have fought the fight, I finished the race, and now what's in store for me is this crown of of righteousness. This is, right? This is the invitation. Satan will always lie to you about who you are, and you just got to daily say, nope, I'm a new creature in Christ. For sure. It's a new mindset. Yep. 
You're listening to Guy Talk. These men welcome sinners and eat with them. Uh, the pastors, Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Here's an interesting comment from a listener. I'm a super comfortable, I am super comfortable with death. Almost too comfortable, maybe. I always pray that God's will to be done, okay? When several members of my family have passed away, I almost feel euphoric and have a sense of peace that only the Holy Spirit can bring. What are your thoughts on this? If they are not believers, then I would be wrecked. Hmm. This person, this person has a, a kingdom mindset. Mm-hmm. They're knowing that they're beloved, are now in the presence of the Lord. That can cause some euphoria as much as you're going to miss them on this earth. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so too, Bill. And I don't, again, we were talking earlier about how the, the persecution, I think we underestimate the persecution that was going on in the early church and just the, the sorrow and the pain and the fear that they had to live in day in and day out. And so in that place, death is a bit of a, of a release and, and saying, I have fought this good fight. And so... We, I think, are blinded sometimes within the prosperity, financial, and material of America and, and assume that this is our home and we get caught up in the idolatry of this world and ask a lot of questions from that place. Understandably so, it's hard to sort out those things, but I, I would think that death would be a blessed release when you're living in constant persecution. So I think this listener probably has a, a mindset that would be pretty ancient in its biblical rootedness in the sense that, gosh, you know, I will continue to fight this fight. I'm not going to give up. But boy, what what a gift then the release can be when I finally have a chance to be present with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tom? Well, when I was dying of COVID, I mean, it was so <laughs> here, bad. Here we no, go. No, I, it was so bad. I was praying. Where's those words of affirmation was, that we have now? Well, yeah, no, so. wait a minute. I was praying for death. <laughs> Yeah, and and God has kept me around. But when you get in enough pain, I mean, when I hear an old person, here's a dear lady, she's like ninety eight, and uh, you know, Pastor, why am I still here? All my friends and family are gone, and you comfort them with God has a purpose for you at age ninety eight. So we got to do that. But I don't think it's a sin to want to die and go be with the Lord, because the Apostle Paul said that. I'd rather depart and be with the Lord for that is far better. But don't kill yourself and don't push the Lord's hand. And if you're still here at age 98, you're still uh, got a purpose for God. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Good word. All right. This next comment, uh, I'm going to say, let's discuss this without connecting to any denomination. And is there an Oreo involved? There's no Oreo involved in this. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. We're, we're going to have a discussion uh, with what the message was, regardless of the denomination. I like it. Sure. All right. Um, this was read at a funeral by the pastor. This is the first thing that was read. And, and the, uh, the text says, this did not feel right in my heart. What are your thoughts? And this is what's read. I'm going to take out the real person's name and put in a generic name, okay? Mm-hmm. Sure. On the day of Denise's baptism, the pastor made the sign of the cross on her brow and said, Denise, child of God, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. As a baptized child of God, Denise has claimed her place in God's eternal kingdom. Thanks be to God. Well, I've heard that a lot. I think, Tom, you've heard that as, as well. And here's the problem. There, there are covenant concepts. There is some reality, but not the way most people use it and not the way most pastors say it. The Lord is always looking for us. And he's always offering to us, like the, the Jews. They were his covenant people, whether they wanted to be or not. But whether or not they obeyed him, whether or not they walked with him, and I think we make the mistake of not helping people say, yes, the Lord formed a covenant with you when you were baptized. However, he wants to form that covenant and renew that today 
and tomorrow and the next day through the rest of your life. Because it's wrong to give people assurance of something they've never really participated in. And we should participate in that relationship with the living Lord Jesus. And those words, I could use those words for someone who was a believer till they died. But, mm-hmm. when, but when somebody, I mean, somebody said to me, you know, Pastor Tom, I went to my uncle's funeral, godless man, I don't, didn't go to church, etc. But the pastor put him in heaven because he was baptized as a baby. And mm-hmm. this person says, that's not right, is it? And I said, no, that's not right. Hitler and Stalin were baptized, and Jesus said he who endures to the end will be saved. So those those words I could use for someone who was baptized, received Christ, trusted in Christ, till, and died in, in the faith, I can use those words. I would never use those words for someone who turned their back on Christ and rejected him. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's done. Agreed. <laughs> would you mind reading that one more time? I just want to make sure that I caught a piece of that. Um. Yeah, i got to go find it again, but I think I can find it here quick. Child of God, I put on you the yeah. spark. It's yeah, yeah. Oh, here it is. Here it is, Peter. There we go. On the day of Denise's baptism, the pastor made the sign of the cross on her brow and said, Denise, child of God, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. As a baptized child of God, Denise has claimed her place in God's eternal kingdom. Yeah. Thanks be to God. Yeah, I think two just quick comments that clearly is consistent with how the early church practiced these rituals in terms of, of sealing with the Spirit uh, post-baptism with the anointing and the head of oil. That would have been first century practice for sure. So I, I appreciate the way in which it was done. But to these guys' point, too, I think the only thing that I w- would suggest, because I agree, you can turn your back on Jesus, I, I, that it is sort of like the, the sin and blasphemy that the unforgivable sin is just simply, and it's not that you can't be forgiven. It just means that you don't want it anymore. You of walk course. away from it. But I think where I'd want to be a little bit careful is distinguishing that between the fact that even though we are in the eternal realm of the kingdom, while we continue to do life on earth, we are going to struggle with sin. Mm-hmm. We, we, it, it is, this, this journey is fraught with peril all along the way. So I think a lot of people question their salvation because they're struggling in given moments. And, and that's a very different topic than the idea of, I am actively now going to shake my fist, stiffen my neck, yep. harden my heart, and walk away from the kingdom. I right. mean, that is so exactly. extreme versus the fact that, you know what, I still struggle with a bit of deceit or y- you name it, right? It, just, it is going to be a struggle on the side of it. That doesn't mean that you're not part of the eternal kingdom. Right. And so I think to distinguish those things is important. I sin in thought, right. word, and deed daily. Right. Sure. Uh, that, Every day he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. And I'm right with you, wow. buddy. Uh, it's a rough it. room, I'll tell you yeah. that right it's now. It's a rough room. <laughs> I need an Oreo. You do need an uh, Oreo. Those are words of affirmation for you, brother. <laughs> All right, I'll take a short break. You're listening to Guide Talk or Guys That Talk, and let me know what your questions are. We've got some great ones coming in. 877-933-2484. Pastor Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner is my panel today. Looking forward to uh, hearing more of your questions. Again, the number is percent better mood just like that <laughs> easily easily 30%. as measurable as that is 32 percent is, is right is on the song? money 
You were the sunshine of my ding, life. Ding, ding, ding. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that at all. Yeah. Song yeah. by? It's well, Stevie Wonder. Ding, ding, ding. You yeah. get an Oreo. <laughs> <laughs> So, I have all the euros in Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Tom Parrish is calling in today from Wisconsin, visiting his grandkids, so awfully nice of him to take time to do that. I appreciate Good your to faithfulness here. to the show and to Guy Talk, as do everyone else who tunes in. I think uh, you guys have fans, just so you know. But mm-hmm. to God be the glory, always. 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 Yeah. Always. Yeah. And I think uh, uh, Jeff just tuned in uh, a little bit late, and he was wondering if, if Tom really did have COVID-19 and you were dying or were we just being facetious and no, funny? No, I, I you had were pretty, it. You were really It was horrible. It yeah. was absolutely horrible. You did horrible. have it, and it was horrible, and yeah. we took that very seriously. Yeah. Although, yeah. you know, we love you, so we do tease you. Yes, yes you do. And yeah, you don't yeah. take that seriously. Mercilessly? Well, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think no, so. No, I, I, I had it, and... And really, it was so bad for about four nights, I was praying for death. But yeah. good things came out of it. Well, yeah. You, yeah, and you were really helpful. You and I had it at the same time. And mm-hmm. you were really helpful to me as I was texting you just in terms of what to expect and going through. But you were really sick, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, he was. Yeah. It was awful. Scripture says that a wicked generation requires a sign. Well, I don't know about any wicked or generation other than the one I'm living in. So have there been signs and wonders to any degree? that you've been talked about uh, today on the program, or does anybody have any signs and wonders they want to mention that led to someone of uh, salvation and someone professing faith? Hmm. That, that's a fooler for me. I can remember a dear pastor's wife uh, of the church that I served. I was the associate pastor, the senior pastor's wife, one of the neatest Christian women you'll ever know. Her lungs were filled filled with tumors. She came up to get the anointing with oil from the elders. James chapter five went back, and the tumors were gone. And she lived for years after that. So it can happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think there's too many people that we probably all know, right, that are reliable people. There, there's a lot of snake oil salesmen and women out there for sure. But mm-hmm. then I think we have to be careful that it, while you affirm the the illegitimacy of the snake oil salesman to then not just throw Amen. everything out with the bathwater totally and say that true. God doesn't move in this way. Because I think we all know reliable people Amen. that would bear witness to how God has moved in some of those more miraculous kinds of ways, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I think, I think this way. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Don. No, go ahead, Tom. You have a finishing thought. I, I got a new question. So you go, you go, yeah, you go I first. Was, I was thinking this way. We, we went and saw the Gophers play football year after year after year with other another pastor family. And there were times the game got pretty boring. And so I'd be doing something else. All of a sudden, the fans would cheer, and I'd look up to catch what's going on. I think signs and wonders are, are kind of like the cheer when you're not paying attention. You may wake up, but that doesn't mean you're going to follow the rest of the game. And it becomes wickedness when you say, hey, that was good. How about two or three more, Lord, like that, and maybe I'll pay attention. No. If you get a wake-up call, you get that aha moment, then you need to pursue Jesus and do what's right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys want to chew on this one, but uh, the question is, who is Melchizedek? Oh, I, I know love it, that it means king of, of Salem. king of righteousness, king of Salem. Um, was he possibly a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus? It never says that, and some people claim yeah. that for I know. sure. I'm just throwing it I out. just think that's Having real discussion. iffy. I think that's real iffy. <laughs> well, I'm discussing. Come on, Bill. <laughs> well, doesn't it say in Hebrews of him that he was without father and mother? That they're, they're, Yeah, he's, the ty- he's a type of Christ. Right, exactly. That's for sure. Yeah. But was yeah. that Christ? I think that's probably not true. Well, as the, and you're, you're, you know, those are interesting questions for sure, because in the Hebrew, when he shows up in Genesis as the king of Salem, it's sort of the king of righteousness, the king of peace. So I can mm-hmm. see why people come to that conclusion, mm-hmm. I think, to not be dogmatic about the conclusion. But I do... If people wanted to read the book of Hebrews where it contrasts the kind of priest that Jesus is 
which which is the priest from the line of Melchizedek, which the point of that is there's sort of this eternality of right. the priesthood, right? That's the, true. The point of that is that Jesus came in a different kind of priestly manner yep. that didn't type. have to do sacrifices over and over and over yep. again. It was the once for all conquering of all sin that he did. And I think that's part of the point of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Do you have any more thoughts, Tom Parrish? Well, it says that Abraham offered, uh, you know, uh, a tithe mm-hmm. to Melchizedek. Yep. And so we know he's a real person. We know he had real influence, and I think we could say, without pushing it too far, he was a prototype of mm-hmm. what was to come in terms of the presence of the Lord among his people in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right, the verse in John fourteen twenty seven: Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Um, a lot of people are dealing with fear and anxiety. When I read that, my fear doesn't go away. My anxiety doesn't go away. What next? Hmm. Well, this is where we've got to get away from this individualized Christianity. Yes, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I do not have a private relationship. And the Bible is insistent. I mean, I I just taught on this. 52 one another passages in the New Testament that are very, very strong, like confess your sins to one another, you know, be at peace with one another, bear one another's burdens. And I think when we struggle with this, we read these verses, people that I've worked with, and maybe different for this gentleman who wrote this in, but usually they're living kind of an isolated Christian life. They're not talking to their pastor. They're not talking to other Christians about, I'm struggling with this piece, where they need to set on do that. And for me, the most therapeutic thing every week in my walk with Jesus is this program, to be on here, to listen to you other guys, to get insights that I'm not thinking about, and to know I'm not facing this alone. And quite honestly, I get a lot of peace from Guy Talk, and I know that sounds crazy. I'm one of the guys on it. But I think that's what this gentleman needs. He needs others that will sit with him and talk about this and reassure him and pray with him. Yeah, and don't you guys think that this is it, it's a, a process, a bit of a journey, to use it, maybe a slightly overused word, but just that it's a journey from, from anxiety to peace that I think oh, we yeah. understandably, right, like we understandably want to pray really hard one night and then have sort of God be the genie in the bottle in which everything changes in the next 15 seconds. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't do that, but I know through if through about a three or four year season in which I was terribly riddled with anxiety and waking up in the middle of the night with panic attacks and, you know, all of those things when sort of this... I was just living with anxiety day in and day out. All of that was, it was an indicator of something was deeply amiss probably in terms of my views of the world, my views of life, family, like whatever it was. And so the journey began to be to go inward with God, not to be scared of the anxiety anymore um, and not to even worry about whether I'm rid of the anxiety. The journey is, is what is the origin of the anxiety? Because I bet God has something deeper in store. And so to start walking out that process, to not be scared of it anymore, but to, to let it to reveal those things that in my life at that point turned out to be, uh, some things that I was just holding too tightly to in terms of worries about career or worries about some other stuff. And, and, and that was a long journey. And it took, to your point, Parrish, it took being around other people. But I think if we can work through the mindset that, gosh, if I just pray really hard one night, everything's going to be changed, as opposed to God usually has a little deeper thing in store that, that requires some time. Exactly. And Jesus says, fear not. Uh, Paul in Philippians says, have no anxiety about anything. Those are all goals <laughs> that we don't meet 100% till we're in heaven. Yeah. And there's some anxiety, if you want to call it that, that's good. Paul says, I have unceasing grief in my heart for my Jewish brothers who aren't saved. So just because you're feeling grief or even heavy, almost anxiety doesn't mean you're outside of the will of God. Yeah, well, and, and you know, again, anxiety right. probably didn't just pop up one day. I mean, sometimes there can be a life event that really does make mm-hmm. it pop up. Or for so many of us, it's such an anxious time in which we live 
that are just kind of the waters in which we swim. And so uh, there's usually a road into the kind of anxiety that becomes debilitating and the road out can take some time as well, for sure. All right. We're down to our lightning round. We've just got a minute left. So uh, quick answer from each one of you. Do you think in your life right now, God is working in obvious or non-obvious ways? Obvious. Obvious? Obvious. Obvious. Tom Brock? Right now, at this moment, not obvious. Not obvious. Tom Parrish? He is working uh, both obviously and non-obviously, but it's only certain people are seeing it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That's all right. That's all right, because I think God does work often in non-obvious ways. Mm -hmm. And just to know that he's always at work in your life. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much for this time. You know thank you guys you. are thank a treasure. Bill. It's great. I, I love, love being a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks. You, so fun to be here. We're going to take a little thank break. You so we're much, come, Bill. Yeah. Come back. We're going to uh, have to, uh, Tom Berkowitz on the show. We're going to talk about Joshua. You're not going to want to miss this. I promise. And then uh, we're going to have a great radio legend coming up in the second part of the hour, uh, Mr. Ron Hutchcraft, the man, the voice, the storyteller. That's all coming up next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.